encourage you to follow along in your Bibles or in your worship guides. It's printed on page 13. And I remind you that God's Word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. About seven weeks ago, I served as a juror for the first time. Has anyone served as a juror before? Anyone? A few people? It was my first time, and it was a fascinating experience. Someone had allegedly stolen a firearm in Raffo Township. And 12 jurors, including myself, were brought in to reach a verdict. Was there proof beyond a reasonable doubt that this man stole the firearm. So after hearing the the case, the arguments, we were sent back to our room to start our discussion. What do we think? And it took us about four or so hours, and we reached a verdict. So we filed back into the courtroom. It really felt like a solemn moment. We filed back into the courtroom. We handed our sealed letter to the judge, And then our spokesperson stood up and read the verdict. And our unanimous verdict was guilty. Yes, there is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. You are guilty as charged. I share this story partly because to this point in the book of Romans, Paul has been laboring to establish this very fact, that all mankind before God is guilty. That's the verdict. It doesn't matter who you are, you are guilty as charged. And this is no longer the Lancaster Court of Common Pleas. It's before the great white throne, before the judge of all the earth, before the one who alone is just. We are all guilty. Each one of us. This has been Paul's main point so far in the book. If we could sum up what we've read and studied so far in one word, we could use the word guilt. But our passage this morning is the start of a new section, a new section in the book. And what's this new section about? In a word, it's about grace. It's about God's grace, his unearned, his unmerited favor. So we're moving from guilt 
to grace. Or to put it differently, the book of Romans begins with the bad news. And now, Paul turns to the good news. He turns to the gospel. Just to give you an idea of where we're going, we'll see in this passage what the good news is, how it's even possible, and why God chose to do it this way. We'll see what the gospel is, how it can be, and why this way. So that's where we're going this morning. So first, what's the gospel? Listen again to Paul and what he says in verses 21 and 22. He says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. But now, but now, today is the start of a new year, 2023. Paul says, but now, to indicate not the start of a new year, but the start of a new era. All of redemptive history has reached a massive turning point because Christ has come. But now, but now the righteousness of God. In this context, righteousness is like saying the salvation of God. The salvation of God. So this is what we sang about earlier in Psalm 98. We sang, in his love and tender mercy, he has made salvation known. In the sight of every nation, he his righteousness has shown. So there we see these two ideas are really so, so similar. Righteousness and salvation. So it's God's salvation, his, his saving righteousness. The way, he, the way God puts sinners back into a right relationship with himself. The righteousness of God has been manifested. I don't know about you, but I typically wake up when it's dark out. And you can see out the windows. You can see a little bit. But then as the, as the sun starts to rise, you see more and more. And then the sun peaks over the horizon and you see so clearly. What Paul is saying is that all of salvation history has been like the sun slowly rising. And now, with the coming of Christ, we can see. We can see as clear as day. The salvation, the long-awaited salvation of God is now clear. He also says it's apart from the law. In this context, the law might be like saying the works of the law. The works of the law. This is what we just saw earlier in verse 20. Paul says, by works of the law, no human being will be justified. In other words, you can't achieve salvation by works. And this has always been true. It has always been true. As Paul says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law and the prophets, that's shorthand for the Old Testament. The Old Testament. So the, he's saying the entire Old Testament, from Genesis all the way to Malachi, it's bearing witness. So as you read your Old Testament, what are you seeing more and more clearly? You're seeing more and more clearly the coming righteousness of God, the coming salvation of God. It's all looking forward to the coming of Christ. Salvation has never been by our works. So how then are we saved? 
What's Paul's answer in verse 22? The righteousness of God through the good deeds of those who, can't, who, who can get their act together? <laughs> That's not what he says. He says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You are saved through faith. You are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And this salvation is not for some who believe, but for all, for all who believe. Paul uses the word faith. The ABCs of faith are admit, believe, and commit. Admit, admit that you're a sinner in need of saving. B, believe in Christ who alone is the savior of sinners. And commit, commit your life to Christ and follow him in obedience. Admit, believe, and commit. This past Christmas Eve, just a week or so ago, one of Becky's uncles died unexpectedly. And Becky was able to go out for some of the, some of the family get-togethers in Pittsburgh this past week. But I glanced over his obituary, and there was one thing strikingly missing. One thing, the single most important thing was missing. What was missing from this man's obituary? Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. As far as we know, Uncle Andy never admitted that he was a sinner. As far as we know, he never believed in Jesus, who alone can save him. And as far as we know, he never committed to following Christ. As we begin a new year, keep on faithfully praying for the unbelievers in your life. Keep on praying for them. Keep on sharing the gospel with them. Pray that this would be the year when God, by his spirit, grants faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God, Paul says, is only for those who believe. It's only for those who believe. So what's the gospel? What's the good news? We've asked that question a few times in our adult Sunday school class on evangelism. If Paul was sitting in that class and was asked, what's the gospel? He would shoot up his hand and knowing that we're studying this book, he would say, the gospel is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. Well, Paul, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but you just don't understand. You don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know my guilt. Salvation may be, all, may be for all who believe, but there is an exception. It's me. Perhaps you're here right now and you're wondering that very thing. Can salvation really, truly be possible for me, for all who believe? Is that actually true? Yes, it is. Salvation is for all who believe, and here's why. Look at what Paul says next. He says, halfway through verse 22, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What he's saying is that we're all in the same boat. The verdict for each one of us is guilty. All of us, 
Every single person, without exception, well, excluding Jesus, of course, but all, everyone else, everyone else is in the category of sinners. All have sinned. And Paul says, moreover, all fall short of God's glory. Think of God's glory this way. If, if God was the sun, then, then the light of the sun, uh, the brightness, the stunning brilliance is like his glory. If God was the sun, his glory is like the light, the shining, beaming light. It's the awesome revelation of who he is as God. We, created in the image of God, are meant to reflect his glory. We're meant to reflect him. But the fall in Genesis 3 was a fall from the glory of God. We don't have. We are destitute of the glory of God. It's our condition as human beings. Apart from Christ, it's who you are. I recently caught up with an old friend. He and I grew up together in the same church. And the more we talked, we were able to talk for about 20 or 30 minutes here and there over a meal. The more we talked, the more I wondered about his spiritual state. My impression, I could be wrong, but my impression was that he's spiritually dead. Without life in Jesus Christ. To put it another way, my impression was that he lacks the glory of God. The glory of God, the glory that can only be restored through faith in Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. So how does this work? How is, how is such a salvation possible? The righteousness of God, the salvation of God through faith in Jesus Christ? For you and me who have sinned and fall short of God's glory? In the next two verses, Paul tells us how. Why is this a reality? Well, starting at verse 24, he tells us why. He tells us how. This is a reality because believers, starting in verse 24, are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Paul can really pack a punch, can he? There are some big words in here. Lots of syllables, but they all matter. We're going to zero in on three of these words. Justification, redemption, and propitiation. First, Paul says, all who believe are justified by grace. What does it mean that believers are justified by grace? What does that mean? Well, for starters, justification is the language of a court. It's the language of a courtroom. So think back with me to the story about me serving on a jury. There we all stand. There we all stand in God's courtroom, guilty before God, deserving capital punishment. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of his glory. We are there in God's courtroom deserving death. And the judge, he enters the courtroom. The judge of all the earth. The one who alone is just, who defines justice. 
He enters the courtroom, takes his seat, and pronounces your verdict. Your verdict that will be yours today and forever. The judge declares, you are righteous. You are righteous. Believer in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. They are pardoned. Not a few of them, but all of them. I accept you. I declare you. I pronounce you righteous. You're not righteous in yourself. You're not righteous in yourself, but there is someone who is. Jesus Christ, my son, and his righteousness is credited to you. It's gifted to you. It's imputed to you. So your status is no longer one of guilt, but one of righteousness. You are righteous in my sight. By faith alone, you are now justified. That's what it means. We are undone by such free grace. We could never have earned this. You could never have earned it. It is a free gift. The righteousness of God for all who believe and are justified. Your verdict at the final day of judgment has been declared now in the present. What is true of you now because of Jesus Christ? You are justified. You are righteous in God's sight today and for all of eternity. Let me take a quick aside here and ask this question. Do you struggle to believe that truth? As a Christian, do you struggle to believe that truth? For some Christians, not all, for some Christians, myself included, this can be a hard truth to believe. Can it really, really be that I'm justified by grace and not by my performance? How can that be? As one example, think with me about spiritual disciplines. This is one example. The start of a new year is when some people restart a Bible reading plan. Maybe you are thinking about reading through the Bible or doing something else. Well, for some Christians, daily Bible reading or some other spiritual discipline can become the marker of acceptance before God. When you perform the duty, you feel accepted. When you don't, you feel guilty. Not every Christian can relate, but maybe you can. Maybe you know what that's like. You may feel like you need to prove yourself to God. If that's you, then lean once again into this truth. Justification by grace. No matter how you feel, no matter how you subjectively feel, you are justified. You are justified by grace, not by anything you could achieve. Your verdict has been pronounced for good. You have nothing to prove before God. You are justified in Christ. Not every Christian struggles with this truth, but some do. If you do, lean into this truth. Grip it tightly. Hold on to it. Believe it. Lean into it. Paul says, as he goes on, that justification is through redemption. If justification is the language of a court, then redemption is the language of a market. 
the basic sense of redemption is to liberate by paying a price. To liberate by paying a price. It presupposes that we are in slavery of some kind. That we are in bondage of some kind. In the ancient world, you could become a slave in several different ways. You could be born a slave. You could be forced into slavery by a conquering army. You could also have unpaid debts and be sold into slavery. There may be more reasons or, or circumstances, but you could become a slave in, in those ways. And in some sense, all of these ways relate to our slavery to sin. What it means for us to be under sin. In the ancient world, you could, become, you could be born into slavery. What's true of us because of Adam's fall? We are born slaves. Slaves to sin. Not only that, but sin masters us. It rules us like a conquering army. And our sin creates a debt that we could never fully repay on our own. If these are our chains, then what we need is redemption. We need liberation by the payment of a price. And Paul says, we are redeemed in Jesus Christ. He entered the marketplace and paid the price for his bride. And he outbid everyone, brothers and sisters, because he bid his own blood. Christ has redeemed you. So what does this mean? It means that you belong to your Redeemer. You belong to Jesus Christ. You are no longer a slave to sin. You aren't. You are a slave to God. You are a slave to righteousness. And when Christ returns, everything you think, say, or do will please God and it will all begin here. There's a, there's a termination date on sin. You belong to your Redeemer, not only in soul, but also in body. Also in body. This means that a day is coming when your bodily suffering will cease. Maybe this is the truth that you will leave holding on to today. That one day you will be healthy forever. You will be rested forever. You will be whole forever. You will be resurrected forever. This, has what, this is what Christ has accomplished for his bride. He has redeemed you, body and soul. All of this is true, and we could keep on going. The, the implications of Christ's redemption are so massive. He came to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. We could say more. But Paul goes on. He goes on from justification to redemption and finally to propitiation. Paul tells us that redemption is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Redemption solves the problem of slavery. If you were under sin, you were, your Redeemer has set you free. It solves the problem of slavery. If redemption solves that problem, what about propitiation? What human problem, what human predicament does propitiation solve? It solves the problem of God's wrath. God's wrath, the wrath of God. Do you remember what Paul said back in 
chapter 1. What's revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness? The wrath of God. The holy, white-hot anger of God against sinners. The wrath of God. Two men. This is in the Old Testament. Two men once dared to approach God on their own terms. Their names were Nadab and Abihu. They walked into God's presence into the tabernacle with unauthorized fire. And what happened to them? They were instantly burned up by God's fire. They walked into the presence. They sauntered in on their own terms, and God incinerated them. The Old Testament the Old Testament well Let me start here. The truth is that just like Nadab and Abihu, each one of us should die. We should all be consumed by the fire of God's wrath. But God, he made a way for his wrath to be satisfied. He made made a way for his wrath to be averted or to, to, to be turned aside. And the word that sums this up is propitiation. The Old Testament background for this is the Day of Atonement. And you may remember that the Day of Atonement was occasioned by the death of Nadab and Abihu. That was the circumstance. Among other things, God said, in essence, sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. Sprinkle blood on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. Sprinkle blood on that cover and remember, the Ark of the Covenant holds the, the copy of the Ten Commandments. So God is saying, put blood on that mercy seat. Put blood on that atonement cover. And when I look down, I won't see my law that you all have broken. No, I will see the blood. And that blood will avert my wrath. It will turn it aside. And there won't be wrath for you. Your sins will be atoned for. They will be removed and swept away and gone. And you can boldly, safely enter my holy presence. How can God be merciful to you, a sinner? How can you be spared the holy wrath of your God? Because he put forward his son as a propitiation for you. Who put forward Christ as a propitiation? God did. God did. He put him forward. Propitiation does not mean, it does not mean that you provide a sacrifice to turn away wrath. It means that you trust the sacrifice that God provided, the sacrifice that is his own son, Jesus Christ. What we see in propitiation is not a picture of a reluctant, begrudging God. Well, oh, Now I'm stuck. My son died for them. I guess I have to love them. That's not the picture. That's not the picture. God put forward his son to bear the wrath so you don't. God put him forward. So believer in Jesus Christ, this is how much God loves you. This is how much he loves you. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
If we want to see the love of God, we see it at the cross. This is the love of God as Christ dies, crucified for us. Just as an aside, the benediction is a weekly reminder of this truth. It's a weekly reminder of this truth. The benediction, friends, is not a churchy way of saying, that's all, folks. It's not a way of saying, you can go home now. You can, but what it is, is a weekly pronouncement of God's blessing. It's a pronouncement, a declaration. Believer in Jesus Christ, God smiles on you. His grace rests on you. You have nothing to fear. Your God is for you. Because of Jesus, wrath is gone for good. So receive it. Receive God's benediction. Believe this this truth. Receive the Lord's benediction. So Paul's been answering the question, how is this gospel a reality? Well, because of justification, because of redemption, because of propitiation. In other words, it's not you or your work that accomplishes salvation. It's the work of Jesus Christ, who is your justification, who is your redemption, who satisfies God's wrath. Because Jesus lived and died and rose and ascended and sent his spirit and is coming again. When your faith is in him, when your faith is in Jesus, this Savior, you can't be anything but saved. It's all through faith in this Savior. It's all through faith in Jesus Christ. So this is the good news. And Jesus Christ makes it a reality. And God did it this way on purpose, for a reason. And this is the final point that Paul says, starting in the middle of verse 25. He says this. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Why did God do it this way? Paul says two times that it was to show his righteousness. And here, here the word righteousness has the connotation of justice. It was to show that God is just. In the past, Paul says God, because of his divine forbearance, did not pour out the full extent of his wrath upon sinners. He just didn't do it. But if God is just, how can that be? How can he do that? How can he pass over sins. He passed over former sins, but Paul is saying, no more, no more. Look at the bleeding, dying, crucified Christ. The just punishment has now and forever been paid in full. Case dismissed. Let me return to my story about serving on the jury. As a jury, we started our deliberations late on a Monday afternoon. We talked for about an hour, and eventually we needed to go home, and we hadn't reached a conclusion. So we took a quick poll. What's everyone thinking? Do you think he's guilty, not guilty? There were 12 of us, and it was split six and six. Six of us thought he was guilty. Six others thought he was not guilty. We went home, had to come back the next day, but that night, I, I left feeling burdened. 
I was convinced that this man was guilty. But six of my fellow jurors thought he was, thought he was innocent, that there wasn't proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And I remember thinking, well, if we don't reach a guilty verdict, will justice be served? It would be so unjust of us for, to not pronounce what is true, that this man is guilty. I felt that. <laughs> we need to reach this conclusion. Will justice be served if we don't? Well, how can God, how can God, the judge of all the earth, pronounce you not guilty? To do so would be so unjust of God. To do so would violate and destroy his character unless, unless he made a way, unless he made a way, unless he designed some way for him to be just and for sinners to be justified. And the good news is that he has. The way is through Jesus Christ. God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Well, we've, we've started the section of Romans that's all about grace. Can you tell? Can you tell? As we start a new year, we start the section of Romans that's reminding us of God's grace. God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe. In a few moments, we'll sing, My Hope is in the Lord. Let me close by reading the final stanza. I think this is a fitting conclusion. His grace has planned it all. Tis mine, tis yours, but to believe and recognize his work of love in Christ receive. Amen.